you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. I'm your host today, Brian Bocchino. I'm here with Paula Judge, VP of Talent over at Excel Partners. How are you doing today? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here with us. You are someone that I've always enjoyed like interacting with, whether it's outside of a search, in a search. Your, your wealth of knowledge about our field is like really excellent. And you have a really interesting journey there into it. You start your career out in nonprofits working at the San Francisco Ballet with the Tigo Foundation. From there, you move to Hydric and Struggles, where I believe that you're working on the technology practice and CEO searches. From there, you enter into Palo Alto Networks, I believe, for like a six-year run. And that ultimately brings you to Excel where you are today. I guess like my first question is, the things that we always do in the earliest parts of our career, become really foundational to who we are and how we work. And you made this really intentional step into nonprofits with Tigo in the ballet. And I'm curious like how that foundation really gave you the perspective that you have today and how it influenced your journey to Excel. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think about, well, first I've had this career that's been like literally two halves, the early nonprofit part, and then this seemingly hard pivot into tech executive search. But there is a through line in there. And that through line is really about connecting with people, building relationships. I mean, a lot of jobs are are predicated on that success, right? That doesn't really quite explain it. Like, how do you go from nonprofit fundraising specifically and development into executive search? And so the early story, the early part of my career in nonprofit You know, I was driven by the same things that a lot of people are driven by, a desire to make a difference. I am a extremely mediocre musician. And so I wanted to work around musicians and artists and performers who were a lot better than I was. And that was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed having a day job where the output was at times beautiful and the output at other times was helping people. And Mm -hmm. so the skill set became building a relationship, but connecting with people on a fundamental way around what motivates them, what makes somebody tick, right? What are their desires? How do you connect with what's meaningful to them, right? That's what the fundamental part of development is because you want to find out what's meaningful to somebody and then separate them from their money. So there is a (laughs) transaction that takes place as well. Oh, I want to engage you at the ballet. I want to engage you at the Twigo Foundation, which is a diversity program for the financial services industry. So I'd like to engage you, but then I'd like to understand how you think and what's important to you so we can move in that direction and ultimately transact business. So that's what that job was. In my work at Twigo, I got to know recruiters and I got to work much more closely, I think, in a business setting than I had worked in the past. And I became very interested in learning more about how business operated, um, living in the Bay Area for a long time, I became really interested in tech. I felt like I sat outside of tech yeah. for a long time and wanted to understand what it was like. 
and then I, I actually wanted to be a little bit more financially successful. You know, you don't go into nonprofit work to, to be financially successful. And so all of these things kind of converged and I got to know a lot of recruiters and I began to get to know them. Hey, tell me about your job. What do you do? And they'd walk through what the role of a recruiter was. And I thought, you know, right. I do that. I just do it in a very different setting. Yeah, the transferable skills. And we had already built relationships with each other. And I knew that I could relate to what they were doing and they could relate to what I was doing. And we had, I was in nonprofit for a long time. And so I had built long relationships over time and I knew I could carry them from place to place. So I was, to your point, I was very intentional about, I want to see if I can become a recruiter. And then as I learned more about in-house recruiting or executive search or agency, I decided well, at this late stage of my career, the best thing to do would be to go to a large retained executive search firm where there was a lot of business and I could quickly learn the craft, right? Because I knew I had the skill set, but I had to learn the craft. And there's no other way to slice it. You learn the craft of recruiting by doing it. That is the only way to do it. You need to have a lot of searches and a lot of people and a lot of clients and a lot of challenging situations. And that is what I got at Hydric and Struggle. Now I got there through, I had had gotten to know somebody who was there, Jody Cayley, actually, I'll give her a shout out. She's over at Monterosa now. Nice. She reached out to me at one point when I was at Tuigo. And like a year and a half later, I reached back out to her and said, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Can you help me? Can you help me think about it? Right. I did the, the networking yeah. thing. I'd like to understand more about it. What's your advice? How do we how do I position myself? And months after we had that conversation, a role became available at Hydric and Struggles and she referred me to it. And so and then I talked my way into it. Somehow <laughs> I managed to get that job. And I did that for north of six years. I worked in the global tech practice. You're right. In the CEO and board practice. I learned the art and craft of sourcing, of delivering a candidate slate. I started to learn how to manage clients because that's a whole that's a whole different ball of wax, yeah. right? There's the front end, there's the middle, the middle. and then there's the close. I mean, I got exposure to tech, built lots of relationships, worked on a lot, a lot of challenging things. I think I look back when on you my were, years I talk. When you were doing that, is there a search that stands out in your mind where you... I think when we all come into we we all come into this world, especially into tech. And was there a certain search that stands out in your mind where you're like, "Wow, I really love this domain in this space." So there's two. There are two that stand out to me as sort of really hard that searches or situations that informed the fact that one, I was in the right place. And two, yeah. I wanted to stay here and do more and learn more about it. And one was when I was working with Apogee back when they were a private company yeah. before they had gone public and before they had been acquired by Google. And we, it wasn't just me, but myself and my boss at the time did multiple searches with Apogee. So we helped with a head of sales, head of customer success, head of marketing, right? So we did the like boom, boom, boom searches in a row. And I remember after that, well, one, got to know the client really well. So we had this very natural working style because we had done it multiple times, knew the company really well, felt like I was able to represent the company. But the thing that sort of changed my thinking on my career was after we finished those three placements, I had this very strong desire to actually go work with those people, right? Mm. With those placements. They were sharp. They were really great at what they did. And I thought, now I want to understand what it's like to actually work with you. And what came out of that for me was a desire to understand what does it actually mean to operate? 
right? right I would describe right. high growth situations to candidates and candidates would tell me they wanted to be in a high growth tech business, taking market share. And right. I could repeat those words, but I never knew what it was. And so that search stands out as, as another moment where I was like, hmm, I like this, but maybe there's a slightly different application of it. So right. that was that. And then there was another search that I did, which was way outside my domain and function and comfort level expertise. And it was one of those searches that went on forever and ever. And there was this white whale out there. And I, what I remember about this particular search is getting to this person I wanted to get to took forever. It was just really difficult, right? That was somebody who wasn't necessarily looking for a job. It was the chief customer officer search for PG&E, wow. right? So I didn't, <laughs> yeah. know, I didn't know customer success. This was a very call center oriented business. Right. Um, it had a very narrow definition of the experience. And there was somebody out there who I thought, I think this is the person, everything I'm hearing, this is the person that getting to her was difficult. And so the search itself was hard. We cycled through a lot of people. I think I, I probably lost a ton of credibility. I mean, it was, it was yeah. all of those things, right? But I remember thinking I have to hang in there. I have to hang in there. There is an answer, right? There is an answer right. to this. And that search taught me that there is always an answer to it, but you have to be determined. You have to keep following up. And timing is everything. Because in yes. this case, I happened to catch her one day on the phone and describe the opportunity. And she thought, you know, I should listen to this. I should go through. I should take this call. And that was years ago. And I believe she's still there today, right? Wow. So that was one of those like, if I can only get to her, I know right. I can get her in. <laughs> the resilience in a search is really important and really tough because like sometimes there are searches, I feel like, where there's maybe, you know, like a litany of people that could be out there that will create the funnel. But when you really get to it, there's like 12 people or, you know, the amount of people you can count on your hand that are actually really the perfectly aligned candidates and that journey to getting to those people. And it isn't something that comes with speed really takes time to develop either the relationship or literally it's timing and dumb. It's like this, this convergence of skill and dumb luck and just luck coming together. I'll never forget and, it. Know. I think I caught her in the car. Like I had talked to somebody right. who gave me her phone number and I caught her in yeah. the car. And when I described what the opportunity was, you could tell it was like a, Oh, and you can yeah. always hear it like on the phone. Yeah. It's one thing to talk to someone face to face, but you can almost hear someone's like voice perk up. And then it's almost like, I see you getting excited about this. And wow. So those are those are two that stand out for one, really understanding what is search and why are you there, yeah. right? Why are you there? You are there to help get people in front of your client mm -hmm. and help them get to the answer, right? Totally. And you're, actually, you're also there to get it. Right. Your yeah, job isn't to really. like tell the client how hard it is. <laughs> right. It's to it's get it done. To deliver it. Right? And like you have to deliver right. the person. That's uh, right. And that's the same as development, though, because at the end of the day, right. you can build a million relationships. But if you don't get the check, you're not doing your job. You're not. Right. And in recruiting, that. if you don't get it done, now maybe you help your client come to an answer. But really, what we're trying to do is get that person on board so that they can begin to. Right impact the company. And so those are those are two that stand out as helping me one realize this is the thing I like to do, right? Because right? <laughs> I was determined to get that PG&E search done. I wasn't going to let it hang over my head, but that yeah. there might be another way to actually apply what I was doing and leaving out a long path of the how, eventually 
I was the beneficiary of knowing a talent partner who made an opportunistic introduction for me. And that became my role at Palo Alto Networks. And that was Jeff Markowitz. Next second shout out is to Jeff Markowitz, (laughs) who is at Greylock, right? Yes. Because we had known each other and he had left Hydric. And so I was comfortable talking to him about, you know, I'm starting to think about what's next. And I don't know, do I join a boutique? Do I just join another search firm? Do I join a venture fund? Do I go in-house? You know, there were multiple different ways to think about it. And he said to me, well, Palo Alto Networks needs a head of recruiting. Why don't you talk to them? And uh, two things happened at the same time. One was Palo Alto Networks. I had followed it since it was a very small company and I was excited by what they were doing. And Mm -hmm. I knew a lot of the team over there. I was excited about the chance to potentially work with them. And I remember saying to him, Oh, that sounds amazing. Jeff, what does a head of recruiting do? Like, what is that job? No idea. No, just, no idea. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I knew how to, re- how to recruit, but I didn't know what it looked like inside right. of an operating company. There's that that there's, introduction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's that balance between the craft and building and like, you know, making the shift into the operator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That introduction turned into... A five plus year stint over there through some really significant growth. And needless to say, I learned I learned what a head of recruiting does. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, even what's interesting there is like given that time period of you've also seen like these inflections. It's not like you you just went through like one inflection there. Company went through, you know, it's, it's almost like you saw multiple companies be founded and formed, like you know, constantly like a snake skinning itself over it that was, time period. Um, there's all those candidates that I talked to back in the day who said, I want to be part of high growth. Now, when somebody says that to me, I say to them, do you really? Yeah. Help, explain that to me. Help me understand yeah. why. It was nuts. It was five years of nonstop, like just really nonstop growth, speed, errors, mistakes, figure it out while, you know, hair on fire, figure it out, but you got to figure it out. And then you have to do it better the next time. And then you have to figure out how to scale it. And then you have to modify it, right? Like everything we did was at the speed of sound and not crisis mode. That's not the right way to describe it because we weren't in that kind of state of panic, but the speed was pretty extraordinary. And, you know, like any company that goes public, you get there, but you're not quite prepared to be a public company, the reporting requirements, the data requirements. And so we were kind of getting all that, building all that on the back end. And so what was so fascinating about me for my job was I knew how to recruit a handful of searches at a time, manage clients, manage candidate flow, et cetera, et cetera. But this was, how do you think about technology? How do you think about the brand? How do you think about building your own team? And then how do you make this team scalable right? How do you make them more effective? And so it really was an operating role with this very broad span of control and a lot of things we had never done before. So that was like, those were the most intense five years of my very long career so far. And I wouldn't change them for the world. It was such a, this sounds really corny, but it was such an honor to be able to work with that team too. Extraordinary group of really committed people who were committed to what they were doing, committed to security, security of their customers who were Everything had to be, their level of excellence was 
insecurity. Um, you know, just yeah, like no, there's no compromises, right? No. It's one of those things where insecurity, the integrity of your technology, your offering is like life or death as a business. And it's like, you know, the one day that you make the mistake that ends up as the headline means it's one thing that I've learned over the years, especially within that industry. So the focus on doing the right thing the best way possible becomes so much like you can grow really fast. Like there's that balance of growth and speed, but also integrity of product and team. And finding that balance can be really difficult. In my journey going from Uber, I had never seen hypergrowth before Uber. <laughs> and I don't know if I'll ever see anything like that again. But then going into biotech after that and learning that, hey, we have to move and we have to have speed behind what we're doing. And because we were doing research, you don't sometimes know where the end is. But there's also that level of integrity around like, if you build something wrong, you could hurt people. And that kind of sits, that kind of weighs on like having a responsibility of a product kind of can weigh on you. And I think it also really helps align people and decision making. That becomes less about people's intentions or motivations. And it's like, hey, what's right for the business? We always knew why we were there. Right. We always yeah. knew why we were there. There was never any doubt in anybody's mind. They yeah. made that very clear. It was, it cascaded through our values. It was repeated weekly, quarterly at the all hands. It really felt like a drumbeat why we were there. And it turns out you can align people around that common interest and get everybody marching in the same direction. Not easy, but you can get everybody there as long as it's clear. You need that clarity. And that's not easy to do. It seems very straightforward, but it's in fact very hard. It takes a lot of intentionality at that leadership level to think about like, where are we going? How are we doing this? And that alignment at that executive level really is what it bleeds down. And that like, yeah, because that's why it's important to hire the right people. That's right. That's right. That's right. Turns uh, out that clarity helps, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that definitely. As, we, as we get into the meat. Yeah, seriously. What brought you to, after, you know, this career that you end up building up towards Excel is really impressive. And then you're probably in a position where like you can, you're finally like, not finally, but you're really in the driver's seat of where you go and what you want to do. And you make this really intentional decision to join Excel. What brings you there? What keeps you here? It's funny. People sometimes ask me, what was the what was the process of joining Excel? And as I take a step back and think about it, this is funny, but it's actually on yeah. some level, I think it's true. It was a five-year interview process. But it wasn't. Pete and I knew each other. We worked together for about a year right. at a Hydric. And he peeled off and did a couple of things and landed at Excel. And I stayed longer and went to Palo Alto. And so we always stayed in touch. We'd known each other. We had a very kind of similar view of what talent looks like and what best practices are and, and how to get things done. When we would meet once or twice a year, grab breakfast and just talk about talent. You know, two talent nerds uh, (laughs) sitting over egg white omelets at Bill's in San Jose talking about all things talent. And we did that for years and years and years. And I eventually came to the point at Palo Alto in 2018, I began to think this is, the company was in an amazing place. Never thought it would get there. We were over 1.5 billion Uh, I think we crested 5,000 employees and it was great. And I just started feeling like maybe they need somebody with a different skill set now, right? (laughs) Somebody who can think about like 5,000 to 10,000, right? Very different kind of skill set. And I had never seen the scale that I was in, but we kind of got there just because we 
we got there. I don't know how we got there, but we got there. <laughs> Anyhow, I started to think about what was next. And I, what I thought about was going back and doing something that was even smaller than Palo Alto. Cause I had joined mm. just after the IPO and maybe close to a thousand employees. And I thought, well, what if I join a two or 300 company, two or 300 person company, that would be interesting. And so we were just getting ready to set out a, on that journey. I had no timeline or no anything. I had sort of put in my <laughs> resignation and was going to take the summer off. And then Pete just called me and asked if I would consider talking to them about a talent partner role. The last job I thought I would do. It wasn't a thing that I had been thinking about coming right. out of operating. But when he called me, three things became apparent immediately, right? One was that I was ready for that job. I had a whole yeah. other career. So I had a lot of just experience. I had done search with some of the best search partners out there. I had really learned from the best. And then I actually had the experience of operating and being inside this high growth company. And when he called, right. I realized, yeah, I, I actually think I could do this job because I have something to say, right? right? I've experienced something and I have something to say. And it's Excel. And Excel is a brand name with a great reputation for being very thoughtful investors and investors who really like focus on the fundamentals, right? right? There are, technology has evolved a lot and recruiting has changed and our worlds have changed, but there are some fundamentals that I think you have to nail all the time. And Excel seemed to have this very fundamental approach to investing. And I thought, well, I have a pretty fundamental approach <laughs> to recruiting and talent. Like it's not that innovative. It's not right. super creative. We're not reinventing the wheel that, by any means. No, you know? no. no not, not the way I think about it. And so yeah. it seemed to be a good alignment of how we think about the world. And now it's been four plus years, like time is flying by. And it's been a great move. I've really, really enjoyed it. And it's a blast to work with early stage companies and help them think about this stuff because yeah. it's so important. In that sense, it's like, I guess like where does your, we, we, you and I have always talked about the middle being this, this period of like assessment. There's the courtship in the beginning, there's the middle, there's the close. And where does your passion for the middle come from? That's a great question, actually. How did I get so into this? At Hydric, they had a competency framework that they taught us. So at Hydric, I began to learn that, hey, you know what? Recruiting, uh, interviewing is a skill. It's a yeah. craft. And it's something that you can learn and you can learn to be better at it, right? So right. that was, you know, I hadn't done a ton of interviewing in my life up until then. I think maybe that's why I might've been a little surprised when they hired me. I mean, you're going to hire me <laughs> yeah. to screen people and I have never done this before. But you can learn it, right? And you should learn it, actually, because many of the things we think we're good at in interviewing, we are, in fact, not. And so if you can take this step back and say, okay, I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything about interviewing, the actual interviewing part, and really learn what is it I'm trying to accomplish in this interview and, and what are the best ways to do that, you can have a completely different experience you can have that experience of learning really concrete knowledge about a candidate. And the candidate can have the experience of truly being able to show you who they are and right. what they did and what they accomplished. And so at Hydric, I began to learn, mm, I don't know anything about this. This is important. And then at Palo Alto, we realized nobody knew how to interview. And I don't say that as a, I'm not trying to say like that's judgmental. 
we'd just never done any training. And so that was the beginning of the kind of value add that we offered, right. which was we have to teach people how to interview because what was happening is we were seeing that we'd either hire people who were wildly successful or who flamed out. And they and it was somewhat, it was almost like asynchronous or or right. opposite. The people we thought should have been really successful we couldn't get them there. And then people who were outliers came in and really nailed it. And the question is, why? Why Why did that happen? And why do people who had great track records, who on paper looked like they should have been amazing, why did they not do well with us? And so we picked up a tool that we implemented and pushed out to the business, and then nobody used it. <laughs> Just like an, you know video interviewing right. training program. It, it was great content. It was really, really good content. But nobody used it. Nobody did the self-training. And so the HR team came back and said, well, we just need to do this as stand-up training. You're going to do the training, Paula. It's your job because there's no one else to do it. Because that's the thing about being in an operating company. Be careful of what ideas you bring to the table. Then you have to put them into place. It's funny you say that. At at Build, sometimes people come up with really great ideas. And I'm like, did you just... Did you just sign up for a project? And they're, and they're like, ah, oh, I think I did. I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> and yeah. We should do this. Yeah. yeah. And so I began teaching it. And that was teaching it might be an right. overstatement. I began facilitating it. And that was so much fun. And I think, you know, you could sit in a room and you could see the people who would get it. It'd be like, oh, I get it. If I make these little tweaks to the process I have now, I can be so much more effective, right? Because that's the thing. It's about making the time you have with the candidate really effective, getting the knowledge and the information that you want and giving the knowledge and information that the candidate wants in service of hiring the right person, right? Right. In service of hiring the right person for the right job at the right time. Yeah. How do you, you know, like people walk into that with like lots of different skill levels and really, I guess it's like something that you brought up earlier. It's something that you have to learn by doing at its core. And I guess like, that's really interesting. Just really when push comes to shove, you just got to get in the trench and you got to do it. And I guess like from that, there's the, I guess like how... How should teams and early stage teams really approach? Is it something where you think that it's just most effective to go out and find a trainer and bring someone into a company? Does it start with first principles at the founder level and saying, hey, this is what I do. This is what you need to do. Or is it something that you just figure out as you go along? The simple answer to your two questions are yes and yes, right? Yes, it starts kind of with first principles or I'll talk about how how we think about it. And it starts with the founder saying, this is what I do. This is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to do. And I don't need you to do any of these other things, right? Right. So especially with an early stage company too, you want to be careful to not lay down a ton of process. You don't need right. a ton of process, right? You really, really don't. And you don't want to overthink it, but you need some structure. A recruiting process and an interview process itself has to have some structure. And so this is not my original idea, but no. Pete Clark's always presents the beginning of the process as let's think about it as product management. What is the problem we are trying to solve? Because you Mm. wouldn't go build a product without understanding what's the problem you're trying to solve. And so I don't think you should hire somebody without really understanding what is the problem? What's the business problem you're trying to solve? You're trying to do it with the application of a person, which makes it a little tricky because it turns out people have their own ideas. But 
if you really start, to me, that's the first principle, right? What's the problem we're trying to solve? We have a demand gen issue. Our product is breaking. The team isn't scaling. We're not closing our books on time. We don't understand where our revenue is coming from. Start with the fundamentals of what's the problem and then begin to scope a role around the problem as opposed to deciding we need to fill a role and then build a job description backwards from there. So we always like to start with, what are the three or four things that you need this person to do? Yes, we can write a crazy, beautiful job description. What are the three or four things that we need this person to do? And start from that. And then we spend a little bit of time, like what I like to do in my role as talent partner is help founders to calibrate. Okay, you need somebody who's gonna come and help your company do this and fix this particular problem and do that thing. So let me go find a few people in our network who've done those kinds of things and talk to them about how and where were they in their career and what kind of people did they have, right? And then the founder can sort of calibrate around, oh, maybe this is what I need, right? So there's a founder who's figured out what are the problems and what kind of person do I need? There's your job description, right? (laughs) Yeah. So great. You started the front end, then you hire Brian Bokino and build talent and they'll start building pipeline for you and bring you people who approximate that job description. But the problem with those things is that unicorns are very hard to find. Hard, hard. I guess something I was, everyone has thoughts in the shower and I was getting ready for this this morning and I was really, something really popped in my head and it's like you you interface with a lot of companies and help them navigate and share wisdom about how to assess. And one of the things that popped in my brain was really about the idea of traits and states traits being fixed and states being things, a place that is temporary that someone can work through and helping them navigate, like, I guess, like, how do you work with founding teams to help them understand traits and states and their assessment? The first part is is about that calibration point, like talking to real people who've solved those same kinds of problems in similar kinds of companies, right? Because the company that we happen to be working with at this particular point in time it's different from those other companies. They're all yeah. different enough that there's no one way to do this. If we can help a founder or a team really understand how do different people think about it, well, I thought about, in my company, I thought about this skill set was non-negotiable, but the others were negotiable. But what we really needed was a person who was a good leader. So that's the, hey, there's, instead of like, we need the quote unquote 10X engineer, or we need the most technically brilliant engineering leader who's ever existed, it's, well, we needed this kind of tech skills in spades. The rest of them were not as important, but we really needed somebody who could attract a team and then develop them while that team was building the core product, right? So that's very, those, that's only one trait and lots of states. Depending on the stage of the company, you might need three or four traits. You might need somebody who's incredible at demand gen in a product-led business, selling to developers in an open source community. Like that might be non-negotiable, but some of the other things then might be, some of the states might be less important. So part of what's important at that, what's the problem you're trying to solve? What are your first principles is really thinking about what are the absolutes? And then what are the nice to haves? And then you can't do that in a vacuum though. So, you, so yeah. <laughs> this is the whole, like we're spending a lot of time before you ever even talk to one candidate, right? right? I'm always a fan of like front load this process with as much information as you can, because then when you go to talk to candidates, you can start to filter. They have this, they don't have this. You have oh, they have opinion. this, but wow, they brought this thing I never even considered. And right. that might be the game changer 
I mean, not to be self-referential, but think about me at Palo Alto Networks. I mean, I had no business taking that job or getting that job because I didn't really understand how to fundamentally build and run a recruiting team. But what I did understand was how to build amazing relationships with the business. And the person who hired me felt like the business relationships were key and that I could learn the rest of it. And I did learn the rest of it, right? So she prioritized for what was important. And now I had to come in and like put my money where my mouth was and make the rest of it happen. But it seems like it turned out okay. And so if you can spend this time up front, really doing the homework around what do we need to... What are we trying to solve and how do we think we should solve it? Then you have clear marching orders. These are the non-negotiable skill sets. So you have to go find people who who bring those skill sets and you can bring that market data back. Well, most people have three out of four, but they don't have all four. So start, let's start talking to these folks. And then the states, right? Going back to a technical leader, if your company's at a point where it's really ready to grow, being a talent magnet, being a strong manager understanding how to build in levels and career growth and career progression, oftentimes that's the most important thing. That's what you really want to prioritize for as opposed to, well, this person was so brilliant and they built this thing, but can they quickly attract 15 more engineers and managers, all of whom know how to build the initial like structure of your company while you're scaling. So really thinking about what are these key priorities? One of the squishier areas of this is on the more subjective side, and that becomes cultural hiring. And, you know, at an early stage, businesses could be potentially still, they may have an, an idea of what their culture is, but it can be really amorphous and it's evolving. And so how should founders really be thinking about assessing for culture while they're figuring it out? It's a great question because I don't think there's a I don't think there's a simple answer to that no. <laughs> one. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Let's see if I can articulate that yeah. clearly as we go along. So one is going back to like you need a little structure in your interview. I really encourage people at the beginning to figure out what are the things we're going to screen for, traits and states, right? Yeah. Skills and competencies. And who's going to screen for them, right? Do a little kind of grid. We need to screen for technical competence and team building ability and collaboration and innovation. I'll pick those four. And you have a little grid and then who's going to screen for them and then what does good look like? So you spend a little bit of time on actually everybody knowing what their marching orders are going into the interview. And the culture, screening for culture as part of most of the interviews is really important. The founder needs to handle it. Other people on the team can handle it. As your culture is evolving or growing or gelling, right? Each of the, let's assume it's a leadership team. You've got a few folks on your team. Each of the interviewers is going to represent that culture in some way and articulate it. And I think it's okay to articulate that your culture is still evolving because people will opt into that or not, right? It doesn't have to be this static, fully formed thing. And in fact, it probably isn't because you don't have enough, probably don't have enough people yet to really (laughs) define what your culture is. But I think it's important for everybody to talk about it a little bit because as a candidate goes through meeting one, meeting two, meeting three, meeting four, they'll hear people and they'll either hear things that are very consistent or they'll hear things that are very disjointed. And that will help them to either probe more deeply to understand why, or to feel like 
wow, people talk about this company in the same way. So on some level, the culture is apparent and it's inherent in what they do and how they think. That was a big thing at Palo Alto Networks, especially in the early days. We were very proud of the fact when candidates came through the end of the interview process, we consistently got feedback and it didn't matter if it was engineering or marketing or customer success. We consistently got feedback that everybody talked about the culture in the same way. And in those days, we did not have anything on the walls. We we knew what Mm. our culture was. We talked about it all the time, but there was nothing on the walls that told us what to say. And so I do think it's important to have every interview right now we're in the middle right here yeah i guess like all jazzed about it now we're in the (laughs) the middle of the oreo right it's very (laughs) gooey to have everybody have as part of their objectives in their interview to have some traits some screening for skills and some screening for culture and competence and being able to talk about your company's culture in their own words Right, right, right. And it's not something that you can spoon feed to people at that stage. Like people need to be able to express it in their work. Like it really needs to come from the heart and people, the candidate. I think this is also part of the experience aspect. Like there's aspects of experience that we can create for a candidate as they move through, but we also have to show, you have to show your authentic self and being able to express culture in any person in that company, whether they're a junior level IC all the way up to the CEO and other executives in the company, that notion that you talk about of like, is this consistent or is this disjointed? Like that's going to come innately from the interactions and the experience that you give. And the more authentically you can present it, like say it is disjointed. I mean, that's okay. If you have 12 people on your team and you're still trying to figure it out, it's okay if one person is like, I'm not exactly sure, but I think we're trying to do this, right? Because let's be honest, culture is aspirational. Yes. At the end of the day, you're always striving towards something. There are the fundamental things that everybody gets, but like you want to be, we want to be bigger. We want to be different. We want to be a market leader. Those all require that your culture drives towards that goal. Mm -hmm. But if you, the more, Again, back to the like the importance of this assessment process and being not just transparent, authentic, just being real about what your company is today and where you're trying to get to, that enables the right candidates to opt in. You want this like the push and pull, the buying and the selling of the candidates. It's very two-sided. And you might think, wow. This person has the right skills. They worked at companies that solved hard problems. They worked through this stage of development. They worked for a top-tier investor. And so they understand the requirements that come with that. And they were super successful. I would love for them to work there. Yeah. (laughs) But if that candidate isn't at that stage in their development, maybe they want to be somewhere bigger, smaller, larger, different. They want to solve a different problem set now because they've Mm -hmm. already solved this particular problem set. You want the right person to opt in. And if this one isn't right, it's still not going to work no matter how amazing you think they might be. They have to truly be ready to do this. We had a company where they were at the wire and the candidate said, look, I'm going to go away for the weekend and think about it because the big question for me is, do I want to join this stage? I think I like what you're doing. I like you. All of these things, there are many, many things that lined up. But she was not looking to go that early because she knows what it takes. And in the end, she declined. And that's the right decision for her. And it's also the right decision for the company because you sure don't want somebody to come in and six months later say, you know what, this was the wrong move for me. 
you guys have to go back to the beginning and so do I. Like that's, right. that's awful. That's the thing you want to avoid. And that comes down to being, making sure you are presenting your company as it is and as it can be. And the right person will opt into that. That is, I've seen that happen before where people almost for, not like force, but it's, there's this tension around, hey, I know I can do this, but do I want to do this? And it seems right in the beginning. But then, like you said, six months down the line, people realize like, hey, this is just not, not what I wanted. And I guess like, how do you talk to founders about, because this to me also leads into the experience piece around helping people see what the opportunity is, where you're at. Like, where do you, the people who do it right and the people who give the experience excellently, what are the things that they do through that process? There's that, that give, I think the first time that I heard you say it, you, you compared it to a tennis match. And I was like, oh, I think I sat around that afternoon. That is all I thought about after you said that. And I guess like, how do you, when founders are doing that right, like, what does it look like? I'm going to come at this from a left field angle. Yeah, We go back to like the end of last year and the beginning of this year when the market was frothy to say right. the least, right? Yes. Everybody, there's a lot of capital flowing. There are a lot of companies that were in a big hurry to hire and a lot of processes ended up being compressed, right? Things were moving very, very quickly. Candidates wanted to move quickly. Companies wanted to move quickly. And, you know, we learned during the pandemic, you can do a lot over Zoom. And what I took away from that frothiness were two things. One was, yeah, there's such a such a balance between speed and depth in an interview yeah. process. You need momentum, and it's got to move at a clip that feels good to the candidate and feels good to to a client or to a company, right? It's got to move at a at a pace too slow, and the candidate loses interest, but too fast, and you don't have time to get into the level of depth that you need to get into in order for both sides to really truly feel like this is the right company at the right time where i know what i'm getting myself into and i'm and i want to do that work right that's right. what the candidate has to say i understand what i am walking into and the speed of earlier this year felt uncomfortable to me because 6 months later any number of pretty staffed yeah. execs came back and said they weren't ready for me Right, which tells me the candidate wasn't getting the information or doing their diligence, and the company was positioning themselves as this is who we are going to be, which is great because it's all about the vision, but you have to start with where you are. Right. So when is it done well? I think it's done well when founders, when we're talking especially here about the leadership team, right? Direct right. reports into a founder or CEO. When you I encourage founders to think about building the relationship with the candidate from the very first interaction, right? Candidate experience is simply put the summary of all the interactions that a candidate has with your company or the people around your company that builds to a picture of this is what it's going to be like when I work there. So if the founder thinks about, let me interact with this person as if we're going to be working together from the very yeah. beginning, then there's a level of transparency and trust. And I'm not talking about disclosing information you're uncomfortable disclosing, but you have to think about that balance of buying and selling, right? Of, hey, I'm positioning what we're trying to do, but I'm talking about where we are. 
right? So I would like to hire a marketer who can do all of these things. But in reality today, we have one person in demand gen, one person in product marketing and an agency, right? And if that's the case, then you have a two and a half person marketing team and no technology. And so you need somebody who understands that I'm going to walk in to yeah. this, which means I'm building from the ground up and allow them to engage in that. So this balance of really probing, right? And one thing we haven't gotten to is yeah. in the interview, when you are the interviewer, how do you ask probing questions and how do you drill in to really dig out what did this person do or what did this person not do? Right. Did they have hands-on direct responsibility or were they part of it? These are all things that you in fact can get clarity on inside of an interview. And so so really asking the right questions to understand, did this person sitting in front of me, did they do the things they're talking about or were they a part of the things they're talking how, about? How much time do you suggest that a founder spends with, when a founder is hiring a direct report to work with them, how much time do you suggest a founder spend with that person before they even speak to their team? Great question, because that one's a little tricky. Because if the founder spends too much time, then the candidate's been in process a long time before they ever meet anyone else. If the founder doesn't spend enough time, then they don't have a point of view on the candidate. I suggest probably two meetings, right? Probably an initial call and ideally an in-person meeting. If it's going to be all remote, then we're talking about two Zoom calls. But Sometimes a founder can spend an, an hour with somebody or the CEO can spend an hour with somebody, feel pretty convicted and move them forward. Sometimes they may, might be sitting on the fence a little bit. Sometimes you end up having to spend a lot of time talking about the company and what it is you're trying to do. So maybe start yeah. with a, hey, let me tell you about what we're building, why it's different, why we're excited about it. Give the candidate time to go away and process that and then opt in and then have a second meeting where the tables are turned and the founder does the questioning, right? I'm not a fan of 30-minute interviews, personally. I think they always need to be a minimum of 45. And I I always schedule an hour because if it's good and you want to know more, you have the buffer. And if it's not great, you can cut off after 45 minutes. But I think you need some time to build rapport, drill in, and then come back and sort of wrap up. And so I'm a fan of one-hour-long interviews. And founders should plan to spend between 90 minutes and two hours before moving them on to the rest of the team. Awesome. If they add that third one, and we've had experiences where this has happened, you get a month into a search and you realize only two people have met the rest of the team because it just takes so long. And that's one where I always suggest that a founder can even also like transition to having them meet more people. That doesn't mean you have to stop talking to them. No, in fact, they should continue to do that. That's a good process. Yeah, that's a good process is continually checking in through the process finding ways to connect with them, whether it's like, I always know if a candidate is engaged, is if the founder has become like daily text friends, if they're like, they're texting on a daily basis, like the two of them are friends. By the end of that process, like that is an engaged candidate. That's an engaged founder. That's the person who is at that point in time, they've been given the experience of who this person is. Like they authentically know who that founder is and what they're signing up for. And to your question about culture, right? Linking because culture is this is a part of the interview, or a part of the process. I think that needs to be woven throughout it, right? Yeah. I mean, you can do a culture interview at the end. Some people do that. Right. I think that cultures you're showing your culture throughout the process, and you want to be asking candidates questions about yeah. how they operate throughout the process. 
but you also demonstrate your culture in every interaction that you have. Right. Are you 15 minutes late to every meeting? Then that probably shows a candidate that you're going to be 15 minutes late to every meeting when you're right. actually working together. Are you responsive or unresponsive, right? Do you text? Yeah. Do you text with your executives daily? If you do, text with yeah. the candidates daily. Build yeah. that rapport because you want to, again, always be assessing, but you want to be pulling that person in at the same time so that when you come yeah. to the end of the process, they see themselves there, right? They know, and I they know what they're signing up as for. Working for your company, and I know what I'm yeah. signing up for. That's mm. where I, that's where I come back to like, this is not innovative. This no. is not new, <laughs> and I didn't invent any of it. Like there's nope. nothing that I'm doing here that yeah. hasn't been talked about for a long time. But fundamentals we, though. The fundamentals, because especially as an early stage company, your vision, who you are, how you interact with the candidate, that is going to help you separate from the pack yeah. because they're joining the vision. You want them to know where the company is, but they're getting on yeah. board for that vision. Yeah. This has been like a really, I could talk to you for hours. I <laughs> just, as we were coming up on time and realized like, Oh, I could, I could do this all day. Uh, you do a multi-part, multi-part. I, may have to, I may have to have you come back and, and continue to dig deeper. Thank you so much for your time and you like sharing, you, sharing your wisdom. And um, we always like to give people the opportunity to give flowers to anyone, shout outs to companies that they're really excited about. Who are you most excited about right now? Well, since we're talking about like the interview process, right? And getting right into like the recruiting piece. We've invested in a number of companies that are trying to automate what we can in the process. There's part of recruiting is what you personally do, right? And how you right. interact and how you build a relationship. And you can't automate that. But you can automate other parts of the process and make recruiting kind of from a technological perspective, part of your HR staff. Automate what you can so that you have time available to do the important relationship right. building. So big fan of Gem on the front end. They were the first yeah. company I met when I joined Excel. And wow, I wished we had them available to us when I was <laughs> at Palo Alto Networks because the funnel, funnel management matters, right? Drip right. campaigns, like thinking about the front end of the funnel, like a marketing campaign, that really matters. And being able to automate that and build relationships over time so that you can connect with the candidate when timing is right. Because right? timing oh. is everything on this. Right? So timing matters. So I love Gem. I love Searchlight. You know, Searchlight is really a quality of hire platform. And that helps you to assess what does your team actually look like today? And yeah. what do you need? Do you need somebody who's complementary to the team? Right. Uh, do you need someone who's similar or who's complementary? Or do you need somebody who's completely different to make sure that your team continues to evolve? And so Searchlight actually helps you map that out. And then it gives you the tools to make sure you're hiring the right kind of person. This is the, yeah. what did you call it? States and traits and states. This yeah, is the states and... part of it. And it's really important. And it's not easy to do. So they've built tools to help you do that. Modern Loop helps you to automate scheduling. Wow. Yeah. I mean, scheduling, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, it's scheduling, That's, but it's candidate interactions with your company. It's so hard and it can leave a bad taste in people's mouths, unfortunately, right? Yes. Over things that aren't anyone's fault because it's really hard. So Modern Loop helps you to automate that. And then outside of the Excel portfolio, I, I'm really intrigued with Bright Hire because they are helping to lay down that structure that I love. I just love right. structure. Sorry, everybody. And they <laughs> do it right inside your video interview. 
So it helps you to follow along. It helps you to know what questions to pose. And then they've got, then it transcribes it and they use AI to help you be better at it. So it's really a tool to help you become better at the actual assessment part. So those are the things that I kind of interact with and think are really interesting nowadays. And I'm sure there's yeah. more, there's so much more. There's than so I much more. On. Yeah. Those, That'll those be for parts two, three, and parts, four. <laughs> seriously. Well, have a great day. Thank but, you, Brian. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate so much you fun. and this conversation. Have Me a, too. Thanks a million. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients and Apple Podcasts Google Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.